As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so Matt, Michael told me this joke. How do you get a Pikachu onto a train? Mm, I don't know. You Pokemon? <laughs> huh? <laughs> That's good, Michael. I like it. I like it. Good. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I'm good. 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 We have gone from snow to sunshine to <laughs> you, you get the graveyard east yeah. weather report every time you talk to me. Man, it, that sounds like Texas weather, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> we were we were 60 one day. The next day it snowed all day. And it didn't stick where I was at, but South Texas got a lot of a lot of snow sticking. Um and then by the next day, it's nothing, and it you know it's fifty degrees and looked like it had been raining. I'm like, okay, that's right. weird. Yeah. So, but weird. You know, it's always it's always good to be back in the graveyard. Oh and, yeah, and talking to all you folks. Absolutely. Um, real quick, get this out of the way. Uh, go to podbelly.com and check out the Podbelly Network. We're proud members of the Podbelly Network. You can find other podcasts to listen to if you're all caught up on graveyard tales and you've listened to us three or four times and you're sick of our voice then go check out the other podcast at uh, podbelly.com we also want to thank tonight's sponsors best fiends care of and manscaped we'll talk more about them later Um, also want to say go rate and review us if you haven't Uh, and thank you to everybody that's given us positive reviews we appreciate that Um, i'm just ignoring that one um, review by phil uh, he got mad that we called him out on that last episode for flipping the switch when he shouldn't have, you know, but I'm ignoring that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, thank for a minute there, I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And then I remembered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for those of you that have. And if you haven't, please go do that. Um, it helps bring us up in the charts. There's some weird algorithm with iTunes that if you leave a five star review, that doesn't help. But if you leave a five-star review and put words, 
then it helps. So say something, doesn't matter what you say. You can say Adam's shoes are nicer than Matt's. I don't care. Um, it's true, but you know, either way, I don't care. Just say something. It helps bring us up in the charts. Yeah, absolutely. Anything helps. Yeah. yeah. Banana oh, yeah. bread recipes, whatever. I'll take banana bread recipes. Ashley's got a great one, but we can branch out and try other ones. But, <laughs> uh, before we get into it, Matt, I thought you would find this funny. Um, Michael, you know, ask me sometimes, well, what did you do today when I pick him up from school? And, uh, I'm like, well, I researched and, you know, edited and stuff like that. And he's like, well, I had to learn this and learn that. I said, Michael, I'm I, I'm an old man and I'm still learning every day. I, you know, research and learn something new. I said, it's like school. I, you know, I'm just doing it on my own at home. So I picked him up today and I said, how was school, buddy? And he goes, oh, it was good. How is uh, adult homeschool? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was like, well, it was good. Uh, I said a last minute research and stuff because we're recording tonight. He goes, oh, that's like the big weekly test. I was like, yes, exactly. Yes, it's it is. Exam. <laughs> Make sure I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I, I thought that was funny. I had to share because I'm like, yeah, I go to adult homeschool every day. And then this right now is the exam. So I hope we pass, Matt. Exactly. Yeah. We've been we've been studying all night. <laughs> yeah, I was up late. <laughs> That's not a lie, but all right, Adam. Let's take a minute and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, Best Fiends. Now, you know everyone has a guilty pleasure. You know, personally, you know, I I love. Uh, I love old old music that is probably way out of my genre, you know, like yeah. like big band music and stuff. And I mean, you know, hey, you know, most people will be like, you listen to this? And I'm like, yeah, it's good. But one thing... I thought you were going to mention dipping pickles into chocolate syrup. <laughs> That's... Well, I'm not guilty about that. <laughs> you love doing that. And I'll tell you something else I'm not guilty about. It's playing Best Fiends. Like, Best Fiends is just an endless source of fun and challenging puzzles that you can pick up and play anywhere. Um, it doesn't require to be connected to the internet. So you're standing in line, you're you're waiting at the drive-through, um, trying to get your driver's license renewed or anything, and you and you got some time on your hands. You can always pull out your phone and play Best Fiend. Right, and with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. More levels, events, and challenges are always getting added, so you can play away, and there's always going to be one more level, which is cool because I've played other games, and you don't want to keep playing because you're like, well, i got to stretch this out. You know, I don't want to run out of levels. You don't have to worry about that with Best Fiends. They're always adding new stuff. And seriously, once you download Best Fiends, boredom won't stand a chance. So, you can download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or on Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. That's right. You can download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. So enough jibber jabber, Matt. Why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight, brother? 
Okay, so tonight we're we're talking about a place that um, that I heard about uh, about a month ago. I, I was listening to another podcast, and it actually is not a paranormal podcast. It is it is just a show where you know the host is a he's a stand up comedian, and he's just talking about his his life. But interesting a lot. Interestingly enough, this this particular guy. And I'll tell you who it is. It's Josh Arnold. Okay, he uh, he's a stand-up comedian. He's he's one of the uh, the hosts on the Bob and Tom show. Okay, he grew up in St. Louis, and and he had he had told he told a story uh, because a listener had asked him about if he believed in ghosts and everything, and he does. And, you know, he's kind of like us. You know, he's a big. Big fan of all things paranormal and fun, you know, Bigfoot. And he tells a story about visiting this particular town, which is about 45 minutes south of St. Louis. And he says, this is one of the most haunted small towns in America. And my ears perked up. Oh, yeah. Mine would too. What's he talking about? The town is Alton, Illinois. And... I, I told Adam that day, we got to look into this. Okay, I, mean, I know there's a dozen most haunted towns, most haunted small towns, most haunted town square, most haunted courthouse, whatever. But I said, he's telling some stories that sound pretty cool from a tour that he took. I said, we need to look into it. And so we did. And wow. Yeah. I mean, it was like opening the floodgates. So the tonight, history is awesome. Yeah. So tonight, for all of you guys, we're going to discuss what possibly could be the most haunted small town in America, Alton, Illinois. And uh, as Adam said, some really fascinating history. Uh, and when I mean fascinating history, I mean it covers the gambit. I mean, you know, we've got Civil War history. You know, I mean, just, yeah, it's amazing. It's crazy. And and just like we always say, the history is so important because it it gives you a feel of why a place might be haunted. I mean, mm-hmm. what you know, whether it's whether it's because of war, whether it's because of hardship, strife, death, whatever. It, Alton, Illinois, has got it all. Right. And, you know, I've rambled on enough. So <laughs> this this place really blew me away, and I'm looking forward to getting to talk about it. So, Adam, lay the history on us, brother. All right. Um, so, real quick, uh, I think we need to get that guy on our podcast. So, if any of y'all <laughs> know him or you know want to email him, tell him he needs to come on Graveyard Tales, and we'll talk to him about Alton again. Um, But as we always say, if you want to follow along or check out any of our sources or, you know, continue the research, all of our sources, where we got all of this is down at the bottom of our show notes in our sources section. Um, We'll be reading from some of them and we'll be talking about them and all that. But you can go down there and check out all the sources in our show notes. So let's get into it. So Alton, like Matt said, is a city on the Mississippi River in Madison County. Um, in Illinois, and it's about 18 miles north of St. Louis, Missouri. Now, the population in 2020 was 26,238 people. 
So I'd say it's a kind of a small town. It's not the smallest town, um, but you know that Nashville and stuff like that obviously have bigger um, populations than that. So I maybe a, a middle-sized town. Let's say a, a mid-sized town. Most haunted middle-sized town in America. <laughs> there you go. Um, now it is the 84th largest city in Illinois, and it's the 1,461st largest city in the United States. So middle of the road there. Now, spanning over 17 miles, Alton has a population density of about 1,693 people per square mile. Now, as of now, you're wondering why I'm giving you all this um, facts about the city. Uh, I'm getting to that. Now, as of now, Alton, Illinois' crime rate sits at about 96% higher than other U.S. cities, according to City Data's website and their information. So my first initial question, usually I wait till later in the episode to do this, but Matt, could the hauntings be related to the crime or the crime related to the hauntings? Oh, interesting. And we'd hit back on that as we go and as we read the history and as we hear about the hauntings. But that was one thing that popped into my head when I saw that they were 96% higher than other U.S. cities. Could the energy from the hauntings be causing this crime or could the energy from the crimes be causing the hauntings? But like I said, we'll touch on that again. Now, this comes from Madison County, Illinois, historical documents. So this says before the city of Alton existed, the area was a wild and untamed place. In 1673, Father Jacques Marquette and fur trader Louis Joliet floated by the area, noting in their journal two strange creatures the piazza bird, which we'll talk about later, um, that was painted on the bluffs by Native Americans. Now, in later years, when the French controlled the area, it was used as a fur trading post. In 1763, the British gained control of the area after the French and Indian War. And in 1783, the Treaty of Paris extended the U.S. boundary to include Illinois County, including the future site of Alton. So it mentioned the piazza bird. We'll talk about that here after a while, um, but that was one of the first things that was seen uh, when they floated past on the river there was a drawing of the Piazza bird. Okay, so in looking it up and talking about it, um, figure it's probably Piazza bird, not Piazza bird, so scratch that, um, <laughs> and we corrected ourselves, so there's no need. If you've already tweeted at us, that's fine. But if you haven't tweeted at us yet that we said it wrong, don't. We fixed it. Hey, because we mispronounce stuff all the time and have no idea. Yeah, exactly. So- <laughs> might, as, might as well change it if we know. Um, In fact, I think that's the newest drinking game is how, how much crap can Matt and Adam <laughs> mispronounce? Yeah, if they mispronounce a word, take a shot. You'll be drunk, I promise you. <laughs> All right, so it says the first settlement on the site of the future city of Alton was made about the year 1783 by a Frenchman named Jean-Baptiste Cardinal. Now, Cardinal settled at what was called at that time Piasol, um, so named because of Piasol Creek, which emptied into the Mississippi River at that point. He built a house and resided with his family, but was taken prisoner by the, the Native Americans. His family fled to 
Cahokia, according to historical records, there was no proof that Cardinal had placed any land under cultivation. Um, Cardinal must have survived and escaped his captures as records show he conveyed his lands in 1795 to John Edgar, then a prominent and wealthy citizen in Kaskaskia. Um, we're going with that. Yep. Kaskaskia, Kaskaskia. Um, if you're from there, tell me I said it wrong. Um, <laughs> the deed was witnessed by La Violette in September 1795 and acknowledged before William Morrison five months afterward. Now, Cardinal affixed his mark to the deed, but Edgar, to show the fairness of the tra- transaction, produced a letter from Cardinal dated July 1795 offering Edgar the land, which was signed by Cardinal himself. Since the papers presented appeared irregular, the commissioners became suspicious of the transfer and they recommended that the claim be confirmed by Congress. Now, in the year 1807, there was one small stone building standing in the future side of Alton. It was near where the um, corner of Albi and Front Streets are and had had been used as a French trading post. It was constructed of loose rock without mortar and its roof was a covering of elm bark. The early settlers could not tell how long it had been standing. So really old kind of rickety building um, that was old when the settlers got there. Now, Colonel Rufus Easton came to St. Louis, Missouri in the year 1804, and he was appointed postmaster of St. Louis in 1808. Colonel Easton purchased the site of the future town of Alton as an investment, and in 1817 laid out a town, which he called Alton, in honor of his son, Alton R. Easton. Later, in 1846, Alton Easton would command a regiment known as the St. Louis Legion during the Mexican-American War. Some of the streets of Alton were named after other children, Langdon, George, and Albee Streets. Now, the original town plat extended from Market Street on the west to Henry Street on the east and from the river north to 9th Street. Now, the first step which Colonel Easton took towards building up the town was the establishment of a ferry. This ferry was located above the mouth of the Wood River and was conducted by Eli Langford. Later, a man by the name of Piper conducted a ferry at the mouth of Hop Hollow above Alton. This ferry afterward came into the possession of Michael Squire and a man named Schmelzer, and at the time of Alton's founding was known as Smelzer's Ferry. Smelzer. Smelzer. I love it. I love that name. That is a great name. I'm going to name my next dog Smelzer. <laughs> Can't you just see me standing out in the backyard? Smelzer! Get in here, Smelzer! Try our new hard Smelzer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, hard Smelzer built a brick house on the Missouri side with brick made on the Illinois side of the river. This house was called Brick House Bend and was in existence until 1866 when it fell down. Smelzer was known as a great miser. Um, once when sick, he told his brother-in-law that he had a barrel of silver dollars buried, but died without telling where the money was hidden. So there could be a barrel of silver somewhere around that area still. Hey, listen, this is a public service announcement. If you have a barrel of money and you've got it hidden somewhere, tell somebody before you die. Uh, One person, just one person. (laughs) At least one. You know, somebody you trust. Mm-hmm. You know, or write it down. Yeah, at least <laughs> write it down. Don't, don't go and let 
let yourself, you know, leave this earth with a bunch of money stashed away. Yeah. Do you, you know how often that happens? You, folks. Right. That happens so often. Like all of these forgotten treasures happen because one person knows where it is and then they die and they don't tell anybody else. So yeah. What good how, is that? Yeah. It doesn't do you any good. Come on, man. So like, like Matt said, tell one person or at least write it down in a journal that somebody's going to find after you pass so that they can go, oh, hey, you know, it's buried by the old elm tree. Yeah. You know, I mean, something. Put it in your will. Do, do something. <laughs> right. Help the rest of us out. Or if you got a barrel of silver and uh, you want to leave it to anybody, you know our P.O. box. Um, just <laughs> mail us where, mail us where it's right. buried, and Matt and I will go get it. So I'm going to jump around a little bit back and forth here on the history to keep it from getting too boring if you're not bored already well by an act of illinois state legislature in february 1827 shadrach bond william p mckee and gershom jane were appointed commissioners to select and procure a suitable site for a penitentiary on the mississippi river at or near alton in madison county Well, during the summer of 1829, the commissioners selected about seven acres on the bluff, which William Russell ceded as a site for the penitentiary. Now, the contract for erecting the building was let to a man named Ivory, who, okay, I know this is childish, but I said the word erected and ivory in the same sentence. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to move on. Now, (laughs) okay, composure, Adam. (laughs) So a man named Ivory who brought mechanics and worked on the building for some time. Now, for some reason, he failed and left the country. So the contract was then relet to Joel Finch, who completed the woodwork, and to Lawrence Stone, who constructed the masonry. The guy's name is Stone, and he did masonry. That's perfect. Um, Now, work began late in 1830, but little was done until the following spring. Now, the Alton prison opened in 1833 as the first Illinois state penitentiary and was closed in 1860 when the last prisoners were moved to new facilities in Joliet. Now, by late in 1861, an urgent need arose to relieve the overcrowding at two St. Louis prisons. So on December 31st, 1861, Major General Henry Halleck, commander of the Department of the Missouri, ordered Lieutenant Colonel James B. McPherson to Alton for an inspection of the closed penitentiary. Colonel McPherson reported that the prison could be made into a military prison and house up to 1,750 prisoners with improvements estimated to cost $2,415. A lot of money back then, but... I guess it's better than building a prison from scratch. Now, the first prisoners arrived at the Alton Federal Military Prison on February 9th, 1862, and members of the 13th U.S. Infantry were assigned as guards with Colonel Sidney Burbank commanding. Now, during the next three years, over 11,764 Confederate prisoners would pass through the gates of the Alton Prison. Of the four different classes of prisoners housed at Alton, Confederate soldiers made up most of the population. Citizens, including several women, were imprisoned here for treasonable action, making anti-Union statements, 
aiding an escaped Confederate, etc. Others, classified as bushwhackers or guerrillas, were imprisoned for acts against the government, such as bridge burning and railroad vandalism. Now, this is the we're getting into the part that we always get into when we talk about haunted prisons. However, we're not talking about a haunted prison, but this is the conditions here. Um, conditions in the prison were harsh, and the mortality rate was above average for a Union prison. Hot, humid summers and cold Midwestern winters took a heavy toll on prisoners already weakened by poor nourishment and inadequate clothing. The prison was overcrowded much of the time, and sanitary facilities were inadequate. Pneumonia and dysentery were common killers, but contagious diseases such as smallpox and rubella were the most feared. When smallpox and Uh, infection became alarmingly high in the winter of 1862 and spring of 1863, a quarantine hospital was located on an island across the Mississippi River from the prison. Now, up to 300 prisoners and soldiers died and are buried on the island, which is now underwater. Um, A cemetery in North Alton that belonged to the state of Illinois was used for most that died. A monument there lists 1,534 names of Confederate soldiers that are known to have died. An additional number of civilians and Union soldiers were victims of disease and illness. So we got a lot of death already here. During the war, several different units were assigned to serve as guards at Alton. The 13th U.S. Infantry was followed by the 77th Ohio Infantry, the 37th Iowa Infantry, the 10th Kansas Infantry, and the 144th Illinois Infantry. Formed at Alton specifically to serve as prison guards, the Illinois 144th was almost completely made up of Alton area residents. Now, the prison closed July 7, 1865, when the last prisoners were released or sent to St. Louis. The buildings were torn down over the next decades, and the land was eventually used by the city as a park named after the Joel Chandler Harris character Uncle Remus from Song of the South. Stone from the prison buildings is found in walls and other structures all over the Alton area. Now, that last sentence could be one of the big reasons that Alton is haunted now because of what you and I have talked about, Matt, that stone tape theory. Yeah, and and limestone is one of those, one of those things that's really... Uh, a common denominator when we talk about haunted regions, it it really seems to want to hold on to psychic energy. Very much and so. It was so common, and it's used in so many of the the houses and the buildings that are in Alton. Um, it it just it just makes sense. That, right. You know, not not only is it hanging on to any psychic energy that's present in that area, you know, if if it's drug from, you know, the old prison and they've just repurposed a lot of that limestone, it's carrying a lot of negative psychic energy to Absolutely. people's houses. I mean, right. again, you, you want a haunted house, build one out of limestone mm-hmm. from, you know, a a, a really you know, horribly conditioned prison with a whole lot of death. I mean, you know, it's, it's just gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna drag that with it. Right. So then that I got to touch on the question that I asked from the beginning. 
with the buildings being made up of, you know, other buildings being made up of limestone from the prison, do you think that contributes to the energy in the city that causes it to have a 96% higher crime rate? Well, I I would say yes, but the the other side of that coin is what you asked. Does does the crime there um d- does it produce the negative energy that feeds the hauntings? Right. I I think and this is just my opinion. We're looking at at a cycle. So, if you have, you know, a lot of buildings that are made from this limestone that's carrying negative psychic energy. It produces maybe a negativity in the area that could facilitate some bad behavior. Maybe put it to that edge, you know. Yeah. The bad behavior, crime, whatever, produces more negative psychic energy, and the limestone absorbs Mm -hmm. that and replays it replays it and so you're you're in a cycle that uh, unless you decide to just start demolishing old buildings in the town it it's not going to break yep you may be stuck with that that's a that's just a that's just a theory you know talking about this it I, i don't know that this this kind of situation has ever come up on another place that we've researched most of the places that we researched the the negative energy was from decades or sometimes centuries earlier. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a situation where it continues, right? So you know we've not had this this kind of cycle before, but it's it's an interesting idea that this little little pool pool of negative psychic energy is fueling hauntings and producing new negative psychic energy right it, it's it's an interesting theory and like you said we've not touched on this at all in any of our other episodes we've not had the opportunity to talk about this so i i thought it was interesting and worth conversation here for a minute because it it seems to it seems to me to make sense that if you've got you know, Matt and I are big believers in the stone tape theory. And, you know, if y'all don't believe it, that's fine. But Matt and I do believe in the stone tape theory. So if that's you're putting those stones, the limestone into other buildings, it's going to carry it over. Not just because you demolished it and separated the, you know, it's like having a stack of um, tapes that all have recordings on them and like one recording, one tape is the first chapter of a book. Second is the second chapter and so forth. You can spread those apart and they're still going to play their respective chapters. Right. Right. They, they, you may not get the whole book out of it, but you'll get the respective chapters of that book. So this house over here may have a couple chapters. This store in downtown may have a couple other chapters. But as a whole, as a town, you've got the whole book there. So I, I really believe that that, that kind of helps perpetuate the high crime rate in Alton. But again, just like Matt said, just our theory. And we don't know anything. We're just two goobers talking. <laughs> so now this comes from a New York Times article. And they say 
that Lincoln spent time here. Um, this was um, uh, this was you know during his time of abolitionist movement and stuff like that, and an important abolitionist publisher. Elijah Parrish Lovejoy and an author of the 13th Amendment, Lyman Trumbull, lived here. Now, Confederate soldiers were imprisoned and buried here, like we talked about, and a vast support network for runaway slaves actually sprang up in Alton. The abolitionist movement was very um, strong here in Alton, and it was a hub of, you know, those sentiments and everything like that. And today, the artifacts, sites, and monuments representing this past are sewn into the city's everyday life. This goes on to say that Lovejoy, who published an abolitionist newspaper in Alton, was killed by pro-slavery mob in 1837 while trying to prevent his printing press from being destroyed for a fourth time. Um, This was actually seen as the first armed skirmish of the Civil War. So the first armed skirmish apparently started here in Alton. Now, the murder inflamed northern passions and so polarized northern opinion that future compromise on the issue of slavery became impossible. Nearly 30 years later, the words of the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which which abolished slavery, were penned by a resident of Alton. Um, A scant few years after emancipation, the first Memorial Day celebration in the United States was held in Alton. The current celebration, beginning in 1868, is the oldest consecutive Memorial Day parade in the United States. Yeah. So Alton has been a a hub for a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, like we said, the the history is fascinating. I mean, for for this, this small town in Illinois to have been such a hotbed of activity during the Civil War. Mm hmm. Um. I mean, it's it's amazing, and and I'm not a huge Civil War buff. I have I enjoyed um, reading about stories from the Civil War. I've I've never come across this, or if I have, I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. But you know, Alton played a key role. Oh yeah, and, and, and it was it, it was right there where it was situated geographically was another reason. You know, it 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 was kind of where. Um, you know, the opposing sides butted up close to one another. Right. And midway that, point. Yeah. And that that produced a lot of tension there, which it was an, was another reason we could say Alton has these type of haunting. Mm-hmm. But, because not just not just war and death, but strife and tension. Right. You know, there's a lot of emotion attached to that, especially when we're talking about the abolitionist movement. So when you add all that emotion into it, 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 again, it just makes sense that all of this energy has just been absorbed and the whole town is affected by it. Right. Right. So the last little bit of history I'm going to talk about here before I give it over to Matt is the history of a place that Matt is going to talk about. The McPike Mansion. And this comes directly from the McPike website. It says the house was built in 1869 by architect Louis Feisenberger. Um, originally owner, original owner of the mansion was Henry Guest McPike. The McPike family owned 15 acres of land then known as Mount Lookout Park. Here, McPike, a horticulturalist, perfected his McPike grape. 
Now, the family lived in this, their country home, until 1936. Have you ever had a McPike grape? I can't say that I have. Me either. I've had a cotton candy grape. Yeah, I, I have too. I mean, they're okay. Yeah, they're all right. The, I, had a, I had a moonbeam grape. You ever I was about to mention those. Those are my favorite. Those long purple ones. Yeah, they're really good. Yep, those are my favorite. Hey, welcome to Grape Podcast. Yep. Where we discuss uh, different types of grapes. <laughs> it's uh it's actually grape yard tales from here on out. <laughs> Damn it, why didn't I think of that first? <laughs> You'll get the next one. <laughs> oh. All right, so this goes on to say the Red Brick Mansion was one of the largest and most extravagant and regal private dwellings in Alton at the time. It featured 16 rooms, 11 marble fireplaces, intricately carved staircases, beautifully carved trim bordering the ceiling, and vaulted wine cellars. So we know it was warm. It was definitely warm. (laughs) And they had a whole lot of wine, apparently. (laughs) What goes better with a... With a bunch of fireplaces and a bunch of wine. Yeah, well, I mean, get really drunk and play with fire. That's <laughs> Nothing sounds more fun to me than that. Sounds like my college years. Exactly. <laughs> that's just, that's just um, East Texas. Never mind. <laughs> now, Henry, if you live in East Texas, I apologize. It was a joke. Now, Henry Guest McPike, 1825 to 1910, was the first owner. He was a local businessman, horticulturist, secretary, um, treasurer and mayor of Alton. Now, per find a grave, which we've talked about before, it says Henry was a close friend of Abraham Lincoln and sat on the, on the podium during the Lincoln-Douglas debate in Alton in 1858. He was also with Lincoln in Springfield, Illinois, when the telegram arrived informing Lincoln of his election to the presidency. Mr. McPike was a real estate developer, owned a box manufacturing company, and served as mayor, like like we said, of Alton, 1887 to 1991. So this article goes on to say that the house has changed hands several times since its original owner. Um, the building has been home to Brown's Business College and was later owned by Paul Lechinger, uh, who rented rooms in the house to other occupants. The house has not been occupied, though, since the 1950s. The McPike Mansion today is owned by Sharon and George Ludke, who have been trying to, you know, restore this house to its once, quote unquote, regal state. So they own it. They're trying to put it back into it. But sounds like that house has had quite a history just with uh, Mr. McPike living there. Knowing Lincoln, being friends with Lincoln, and all that other stuff, it had to have a wild history that we don't even know about. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, McPike, he ran the town. I mean, yeah. you know, mayor, secretary, treasurer, everything. It was him. Yep. If he you, call, dog he catcher. The shots. Yep. <laughs> dog catcher. He was everything. You know, chief cook and bottle washer. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> but. You know, we, we've we've dug into this history, and we've, we've kind of told you why we think Alton would be really, really haunted. Um, but let's get into some of the stories and, and all of these places. And, and I, trust me, I, I was not able to cover all of them. I mean, I had plenty 
of places to look at and research. We'd be here until tomorrow. And I and I dug into the majority of them. Some of them were just very, um, you know, there there wasn't a a, a lot of, um, of of haunted experiences there to share. Um, but you know, a lot of the places have. Hey, well, th- you know, if you go to this place, you're going to see this. If you go to that place, you're going to see this. I mean, it was just. I'm just looking, and I'm like, is is there any place in this town that's not haunted? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, seriously. I mean, it's just a, a huge list of places that have experienced some paranormal activity. But uh, one of the best places to start is is the Alton Cemetery. Now, the cemetery is believed to be haunted by several ghosts. Um, one is that of Lucy Haskell. Now, Lucy was a nine-year-old girl who died from diphtheria. Now, she can be seen in the vicinity of the Hainer Haskell Monument. Now, she is mostly seen by children, and Lucy is said to be very playful and curious. Now, another one of the spirits in the cemetery is, is a spectral woman dressed in black that appears near the Grandview Mausoleum. Now, the the mausoleum is no longer open to the public. So there hasn't been a lot of investigation as to who she might be or why she would be there. So her presence is really still a mystery. Now, third, and and this is somebody that, that Adam mentioned earlier is publisher and minister Elijah P. Lovejoy. Now, of course we know, you know, Lovejoy was an abolitionist and he was shot at a, at a, uh, trying to defend his his printing press. Now his ghost is known to appear uh, around his monument, which um, which my understanding is is a very tall monument with a, a winged figure atop mm-hmm. of it that was added much later after his death as as kind of um, honoring right. uh, what he did for the abolitionist movement. So. You know, we're we're talking about a, a, just a cemetery that has three very common spirits in it. You know, and when you look at what we've talked about before, Matt, that's actually rare because a lot of people say, "Oh, all these cemeteries are haunted," but in the cemeteries we've looked at, not many of them have that much activity. Right, Mo- most of the time the activity in a cemetery is limited to some shadows, maybe some uneasy feelings, maybe some nausea, dizzy spells when you get close to a certain grave or to a particular mausoleum. It, 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 It sounds odd, but it is rare to have this many apparitions in a single cemetery. Mm hmm. Now let's move on to uh, to one of the houses that is is very commonly uh, discussed when we talk about the hauntings in in Alton, Illinois, the Mitchell Mansion. Now the Mitchell Mansion was owned by two brothers who rented the land uh, where the prison that Adam mentioned earlier stood. The Mitchell brothers really weren't concerned about the harsh treatment and poor living conditions that existed in the prison. They really just cared about the rent money they were collecting. Now, 
as Adam said, only a small fraction of the prison remains, and that's a section of the wall that actually leads to a paved parking lot. Now, it is said that the cries for food from the former prisoners can still be heard when families in the surrounding homes host outdoor barbecues. Hmm. Now, now you think that's pretty torturous. I mean, imagine being locked up hungry and being forced to smell a cookout. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, but I thought that was so curious that, you know, we already talked about how the prisoners were were starved, essentially. Mm-hmm. And and now their their spirits can be heard when you get that that summertime smell of you know charcoal and burgers and hot dogs yeah. wafting that, through the air. That shows high intelligence of a haunting, and yeah. it shows them being very aware of what's going on in the surrounding area. Yeah, even if even if we're just talking about the replay of a, of a lot of events that happened while the prison was there, they're interacting with the current environment, Mm -hmm. which again is very rare. Yep. Now the mansion overlooks the site of the former prison and reported sightings occur of a Confederate soldier standing and looking at the house dismounted from his horse that is tied to the hitching post in front of the Mitchell home. So we've got, a, a, you know, the spirit of a Confederate soldier and his horse. Yeah. And, you know, that's the, wild. The descriptions almost describe him as being, um, being, being sad or dismayed, almost as if he's looking, he's looking down and seeing the old prison and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the horrible conditions that, you know, his fellow troops were enduring. Could be. All right, Matt. So let's take a second and talk about another sponsor tonight, Care Of. Now, what is Care Of, you ask? Well, Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best today and supports you long term. All of Care Of's products are formulated with good for you, clean ingredients that are backed by science. And your recommendations come in daily, individually wrapped packets that are perfect for getting back into a routine. And that's great because that's one of my favorite things about it is the little individual packets of vitamins. Because before care of, I would have bottles strewn across the cabinet. You know, they're in the bathroom. I've got four, five, six different bottles of vitamins that I'm taking. And I'd always be knocking them off. Ashley would knock them off. She'd get mad at me. And, you know, it, it's like just too much. So you do the care of thing. You can get their recommendations that they say, here's what I'm looking to do. And they recommend stuff. You can remove some of those, add some more um, other ones that you prefer, whatever. But you get those and they send them to you with your name on them in individual packets for that day. So it's easy. You grab one packet, rip it open. There's all your vitamins. It's amazing. That's right. And, you know, if you've ever researched what supplements you really should be taking for what your goals are, it's mind-blowing. I mean, you don't really even know where to start. But with Care Of, you take an in-depth, five-minute online quiz that asks you questions about your diet, lifestyle, and health concerns to help address your specific wellness goals. 
Now, Care-of's holistic online quiz, it's like getting a one-on-one consultation with a nutritionist all without leaving your house. You get a personally tailored approach to your unique health needs. And personally, I think that's great because it really helps you streamline what supplements you should be taking to meet mm-hmm. your healthcare goals. Like you said, it's hard to know. It really is. So, for Graveyard Tales listeners, you can get 50% off your first care of order. Just go to takecareof.com and enter the code GRAVE50. That's G R A V E 50. That's right. For 50% off your first order, go to takecareof.com and enter our promo code GRAVE50. G R A V E 50. Now, just down from that property is Hop Hollow. Again, another place that Adam mentioned. Now, this sounds like the setting for a Disney movie starring Mr. Toad. Mm -hmm. Mr. Toad lives in Hop Hollow. Not quite. (laughs) Now, unruly Union soldiers were often given the punishment for poor behavior, which would entail hauling the bodies of dead Confederate soldiers to the cemetery. However... More often than not, these disobedient troops would dump the Confederate bodies in the woods of Hop Hollow and spend the rest of their time drinking and playing cards. So, you want a haunted forest? This is how you get a haunted forest. Absolutely. So, as you would expect, there have been many sightings of ghostly Confederate soldiers in this area. I can believe it. Now, the next place we're going to talk about, I found extremely cool. This is the Enos Apartments. What did you say? Enos. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but the Enos Apartments are, are found in a historic red brick four-story building that once housed a sanatorium. Now, that should be reason enough to consider this place haunted, but the history goes much deeper. A tunnel used as a coal shed in the basement served as a, as a hiding place for escaped slaves along the Underground Railroad. And apparitions of a riverboat captain and slaves have reportedly been seen in the basement. Now, you got to remember, Alton is really a riverboat town. Yeah. You know, right there on the river, riverboats were very common to transport, you know, products, transport people, you know, so... Shortly Running after in, the settlement, the ferries were yeah. very popular. They popped up almost immediately. Yeah. So seeing a, a spirit of a riverboat captain is not out of the ordinary. Right. Now, in the tunnel, several people have reported feeling as though someone was holding their hand only to realize that no living person is there. That's creepy. Yeah. One woman even experienced the feeling of someone placing their hands on her shoulders And when she turned around, she discovered that no one was there, but instead saw a dark figure standing right in front of her. Oh, wow. Now, residents of the Enos Apartments have reported hearing silverware drawers. I knew it. (laughs) (sighs) Now, residents of the Enos Apartments have reported hearing silverware drawers rattle and leaving full glasses in the kitchen 
that mysteriously end up empty. Thirsty ghost. Thirsty ghost. And and apparently it's it's happening too fast to just be evaporation. So Right. Now the next spot we're going to talk about is the first Unitarian Church. Now the first Unitarian Church was built in 1830 and was called St. Matthew's Catholic Church. Now 20 years later, the church burned to the ground. The Unitarian Society purchased the land and rebuilt a church for themselves. Now another fire occurred in 1901, burning the church down to the ground yet again. Now the church that stands there now was rebuilt in 1905. Man, you know, two two different churches on the same spot, both of them burned to the ground. That's really strange. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you, back in the day, it, every town had things destroyed by fire. It, I think fire just spontaneously erupted back in the 1800s and early 1900s because you look at anywhere in the U.S. and in England and all that stuff, towns were ravaged by fires. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I know you're going to say, well, it's because most of the building material was wood and, they, you know, wood burning stoves and stuff like that. And so the embers got out of hand. But I think it was just an 1800s curse that caused spontaneous fires. And I'm sticking to that. All I'm right. not going not going with the logical explanation for it here. Well, you know, fire safety was uh, was not what it is today. And they didn't even know stop, drop and roll then. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> they just kind of did it by default. You know, yeah. you, you catch on fire. That's kind of what happens eventually. <laughs> I got the stop and drop part. Now, what do I do? I don't remember what to do. <laughs> but. It, it is kind of interesting that, you know, that, that would happen at the same spot mm-hmm. twice. But, I mean, understandably, you know, like we said, you know, fire prevention was, you know, not what it is today. Now, the Reverend Philip Mercer became a well-respected preacher at the Unitarian Church at the age of 18. Ooh. Now, he, he moved here from England he had a way of speaking in his sermons that made people come from all around just to hear him preach. Now, one night in November... It was just the English accent. That's all it was. <laughs> it's not anything he actually said. It was just the way he said it. They're like, oh, he's fancy. When I he's look, smart. There, there's some truth to that. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've had friends that were from the UK, and I'd just be like, Man, you, you could be really reading, you know, a sweet and low package to me, and I just sit and listen to it mm-hmm. in awe. Like Americans are infatuated with the English accent. We are, and and, and they the English accent sounds most of them. Now, I'm not going to give you all of them because I've heard some of them that don't, but most of them just make our southern accent sound dumb. You know, yeah. you you going to listen to me and Matt? Are you going to listen to a guy that talks like this? Very seductively. <laughs> you sound like Russell Brand just then. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the first time I've heard that. I guess I watched him too much when I was adopting this accent. <laughs> now, as, as I was saying, uh, one night in November of 1934, uh, the Reverend Mercer became ill. He was shaking. He was unable to speak. 
So he went to visit his friend, James McKinney. Now, after a few days of not seeing Mercer around, McKinney decided he would go to the church and and check on his friend that he had seen sick just a few days before. Now, he found Mercer hanging in the doorway of the minister's study. Oh, geez. Now, this this doesn't really add up. I mean, you know, here we've got... You know, a very respected minister. He, he obviously, um, you know, has a, has a very large following. He has people coming from other towns just to hear him preach. Why would he just all of a sudden decide to hang himself? Yeah. But, and he was sick, and they, they just said he was ill. Right. That's odd. But since the reverend's death, reports of haunting in the church are common, and include hearing voices and people moving around when the church is empty, seeing shadow figures, being touched by an unseen presence, and this unwelcomed negative emotional response that occurs when people visit, such as just Hmm. crying for no real reason at all. Hmm. The piano in the church also seems to play by itself, and sometimes doors are found to just open and close with no explanation. Hmm. So that that's again a a chicken egg cause effect uh, yeah. question. You know, was was his death by hanging the impetus for all of this, or was there something in the church that caused the burning and that then caused him to be hung or to hang himself? Exactly. Uh, you know, which, which one was it? And now that he's passed, he's just added to that negative energy. But yeah. it had a history of burning. So could that have influenced him? Yeah. And and the spirit of the Reverend Mercer himself is said to reside in the church. Now, his spirit has been known to appear in photographs and even communicate through a spirit box. Now, during one investigation, a group set up EMF meters at the pulpit as well as a spirit box. Now, when mentioning Reverend Mercer and moving close to the pulpit, the EMF would increase. When feeling as though the spirit communicating through the EMF meter might be annoyed with their presence, they asked the spirit to tell them to get out through the spirit box. And initially, the spirit really didn't seem to repeat anything uh, that they were asking it to, but rather said no several times. However, upon review of the recording, it appeared that the spirit may have repeated the phrase, get out, earlier in the conversation, making it known that not only was the spirit present, but was intelligent. Right. So now, the Reverend Mercer is not the only spirit that inhabits the church. There is a negative entity that is believed to show itself from time to time, but keeps mainly to the lower level of the church. Now, here we go. Uh-huh. So, you know, now, now we're getting into the, the crux of it. This heavy and unwelcoming energy has been felt by many visitors, and some have even left the building in complete terror after an encounter. So this goes to Adam's point. 
you, you've got a minister who is who is very popular, very successful, becomes sick, and then suddenly is found, you know, hanged mm-hmm. in his own church. And now we're we're learning of of, of a of a negative energy, a you know, just essentially a dark entity that perhaps is dwelling within the church. That probably, at least in my opinion, didn't show up after the Reverend no. Mercer died. No. It was there all along. And, and we know from other other um, accounts that negative hauntings being, I hate to use the word um, like demons or uh, possession, but we know from... Uh, talking about our possession episode and stuff like that, that it can cause physical illness Mm -hmm. that you would initially assume to be cold, flu, you know, something like that, where you feel run down and and sweats and all that. And it can then change your thought patterns and your mindset. So could that have been influencing him? I'll say that a negative entity influence on him yeah. to cause him to feel sick and then to hang himself. Yeah. And it's highly possible. And when you look into what, and I know you know, we, we get it, we, we get into some murky waters when we start talking about this stuff. But when, when you look at, you look at documented cases that are widely believed to be a, a demonic entity, Individuals that reside in that area will report that overwhelming sadness and severe depression and suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it just makes you wonder, could this have been what caused the reverend's demise? Right. And you look at, um, like we are talking a minute ago, previous happenings at the church, the fires. I mean, we know from poltergeist activity and other negative energy demonic hauntings that fires do spontaneously happen. Right. You know, they they are known to cause fires. So could that entity have been residing there for a while, burned it down a couple times, and then when they got a minister that actually was popular and doing well, they influenced him to get rid of him because as we talked in um, one of our listener stories episodes, it seems that um, demonic entities usually will fight harder against preachers and ministers and and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm fairly convinced with the information that we have that that's what's going on. Yeah. But in addition to all of this that's going on there, there is a, the, a theory that part of the church um, was used with the Underground Railroad. And tunnels found in the building has led to the idea that some of the spirits that are encountered there could be those of escaped slaves. Now, photographs of spirits that appear to be children have also been taken in the church. So no matter 
whoever or whatever lingers in the church, it really appears to have a strong presence and is willing to show itself to the people that visit. And multiple things. Absolutely. Now, this next one is kind of interesting. This is the Milton School. Now, the Milton School was built in 1904 as a four-room schoolhouse teaching kindergarten through eighth grades. Imagine that. You're teaching kindergarten through eighth grade, and you got four rooms. That's How do you pull that off? Yeah, I don't know. Now, the doors of the school remained open for 80 years until it closed in 1984. Now, from that time, the school remained vacant until Gary Levi purchased it for his company uh, Intaglio Design, which was a company that manufactured uh, decorative glass about seven years later. So we're, we're talking about around 1991. So after Intaglio shut down, the building was rented out to several different people and even served as a haunted house attraction. And hmm. fake blood, wax, and blacklight paint were all that remained until the building was purchased and the renovations began. Wouldn't that be weird? You buy a building and you see all that there, and <laughs> you didn't know. Yeah, like yeah, you had you no did, idea it was a haunted know house. That it was a haunted house. Like yeah. what? You're going. What happened here? This is crazy. <laughs> There's blood on the walls and black lights, and that'd be weird. <laughs> that would be crazy. Can you imagine? You want to know that? Yeah. Was, yeah. was my was my house ever like? an attraction of a haunted house. Yeah. You know, I got to know. And now what are, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. We got no idea. Now the Milton school is believed to be haunted. However, there's not a lot of documentation to validate many of the stories that are attached to the property, which include the rape and murder of a num of a young girl named Mary and the alleged suicide of a former janitor and possibly Mary's murderer. Now, according to these stories, an event occurred in the late 1930s that cannot be found in the newspapers around that time. It would seem that this is more of an urban legend, and it's possible that this story was was developed during the quote-unquote haunted house era to, to stimulate business. And you and I kind of talked about that a little bit before we started recording was that the history of that place, I I tried to look for it and there is not a lot of info out there about the Milton school. Yeah. Um, It's either just not written down or it's so overshadowed by those urban legends you're talking about that you can't find a lot of the true history, which is, I mean... That's not uncommon for a lot of places where, especially nowadays, the days of the internet and all that, the urban legend history takes the forefront, you know, from the legit, maybe more boring history. Yeah, exactly. Now, during an investigation by the Illinois Supernatural Investigator Society, or ISIS, which... No, which change I, that. I, I, I kind of looked at that and went, that's unfortunate. Yeah, you got to change guys. that. You know, they developed this this cool name and logo, and then I was like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't care how much time and money you put into that. You're going to have to change that. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that ain't going to fly. I mean, you know. I mean, look, 
my last name is Rudolph for crying out loud. Do you want to know how many times I was asked if I was related to Eric Rudolph? Yeah. You know, the bomber. I'm like, yep. yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> or just, how many times do you ask where your red nose is and oh, all the uh, yeah, stupid I'm jokes? Kind of used to that. <laughs> but when he came out as the 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 Atlanta Olympics bomber, I'm like, oh my god! Yeah, like, great. Now I got to deal with that too. I mean, it's not like you know Smith or Jones. You're like, oh well, yeah, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's Rudolph. I mean, give me yeah. a break. <laughs> yep. But during their investigation, they heard footsteps running in the hall upstairs, and what sounded like several people descending the west staircase talking and laughing. Now, red lights were also witnessed bouncing around in the hallway in front of them. Upon beginning analysis of their data, they found that several pieces of equipment had failed that were working fine before and after the investigation. They also began analyzing a 95-minute static camera video of the stage area in the gym, only to have it delete itself after two minutes of viewing. Oh wow! You know now now that's a serious glitch. You don't yeah, usually see that's that kind wild. of behavior. No, but could you really call yourself the most haunted small town in America if you didn't have your own cryptid as well? Probably not. Probably not. So and and they got one. We talked about it earlier. Um, you know the uh, the piasol bird. I, I, I corrected Adam, and then I was going to screw it up myself. <laughs> the Piasol bird. Now, the Piasol bird is a local legend in the Alton area, and its foundings go back to 1673, as Adam mentioned, when Father Jacques Marquette, uh, in recording his famous journey down the Mississippi River uh, with Louis Joliet, described the Piasol as a bird-like monster painted high on the bluffs along the Mississippi River where the city of Alton, Illinois, now stands. According to the diary, the Piasol was as large as a calf with horns like a deer, red eyes, a beard like a tiger's. Tigers have beards? I guess so. A face like a man, and the body covered with green, red, and black scales, and a tail so long it passed around the body, over the head, and between the legs. Wow. Hmm. Now, the creature was given its name by the Illini Indians. The Piasol, meaning a bird that devours men. Wow. As the legend goes, the great Illini chief, Oitoga, was told by the great spirit to select 20 warriors and arm each of them with a bow and poison-tipped arrows. Oitoga stood his bait, chanting the death song of a warrior to lure the Piasol bird out. The Piasol took to the air and swooped down upon the chief. The Piasol had just reached his victim when every bow was sprung and every arrow sent sailing into the body of the beast. The Piasol uttered a fearful scream that echoed down the river and died. Atoga was safe and the tribe was saved. Now, that particular painting um, was destroyed as Illini warriors would fire arrows at it as they passed. Hmm. You know, you never know. I mean, you know, everybody appreciates art differently. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now, the Paisal was essentially forgotten until the 1920s when two brothers from Alton, Herbert and Orland Forcade, 
chose a likely cliff and painted what has become the accepted modern version of the Piasol. Now, that painting was destroyed in 1950 when the road was widened, and subsequent attempts um, would never last long on the crumbly limestone. So Alton painted a Piasol on steel in 1984 and bolted it to the cliff. But Rust brought it down in 1995. And And so they say now it terrifies visitors at a high school football field. Oh, yeah. They just cool. moved it, just put it out of my <laughs> Now, the, the cliff stood vacant for a couple of years until another Alton resident, Dave Stevens, repainted the Piasol on the bluff in 1999. And his work is the most impressive yet, standing 22 feet high and 48 feet long. Wow. It's pretty cool. I mean, you know, they, they've taken on this legend, and yeah, most likely it, it is a legend. Um, but again, it it really speaks to the amazing history of this town. Mm-hmm. So jumping back into other haunted places, and and, and this one really, it, it's a real contender for the most haunted place in Alton. Nice, and, and that's the Mineral Springs Mall. Now it opened in 1914 after a drill for fresh water resulted in the discovery of a mineral-rich spring. Now, Alton's Mineral Springs Mall, located at 301 East Broadway, like I said, is really a contender uh, for Most Haunted because of all of the activity that goes on there. Now, mall tenants Dave and Donna Nunnally, the owners of It's Raining Zen and Indigo (laughs) Moon. It's Raining Zen. Is that not great? (laughs) <laughs> i like it now these are these are metaphysical and holistic shops hallelujah it's raining zen <laughs> now they have claimed to have had several paranormal encounters in the building and the couple love sharing stories photos videos and even evps of the former hotels many ghosts now one of the spirits that reportedly resides in mineral springs mall is clarence a 17-year-old young man who is said to have drowned in the pool. Dave Nunnally said several people who have gone into the building for paranormal investigations have claimed to have seen an apparition of a young man, sometimes wearing a brown suit, who appears around the pool area. Clarence's certificate of death is showcased in the lobby of the mall now. Hmm. That's an an odd thing to have. It is an odd thing. I got a death certificate yeah. in a mall. Hey, back when this was a hotel, this guy died here. Yeah. Here's his death certificate, not a portrait I mean, of him, you know, yeah. not a little plaque commemorating him. No, his death certificate. <laughs> yeah, you'd think a plaque would be good. That's right. You know, good enough. Su- but. Sufficient, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's just put the whole death certificate. I mean, me and, and people like me would find that. Highly interesting, but still, I mean, the average person is probably not going to find that that interesting. I know. Now, there is a folkloric haunting that exists around the pool area. Now, the the popular ghost of Cassandra, who is said to have drowned during a birthday party. Man, this pool was dangerous. They needed a lifeguard bad. No kidding. Now, it, it the the story cannot be proven. So, again, this is one of these, this could be an urban legend. 
but many people that visit will leave toys, especially marbles, around the former pool's drain. Now, some groups even claim to have seen the marbles move as if they were directed by some unseen hand. Don't leave marbles laying around. Right. It's dangerous. And, and, You're going to have somebody yeah, else's death certificate to post up exactly. there. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe that's why there's so much death around the pool. People throwing marbles around right. the edge of the pool. You're standing there going, okay, I see this. This this is Clarence's death certificate. He drowned in the pool. Now, this is, okay, this guy, did he drown in the pool? Oh, no, he died last year because he slipped on a bunch of damn marbles that were left yeah. laying around. <laughs> yeah, death by marbles. Now, another spirit is Charlie. Now, Charlie was a drunk that frequented the hotel bar and supposedly ran up such a large tab, he was commissioned to paint a mural for the hotel as recompense. Now, before he finished, however, Charlie committed suicide. So this guy runs up a big bill and they go, okay, you got to paint us a mural. Mm-hmm. So he was a drunken artist. Okay, fantastic. All right, Adam, let's take a moment and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, Manscaped. Now, Adam, you and I both have beards. Oh, yeah. So, like you, I take a lot of time trimming and grooming and taking care of my beard uh, just to make sure that it's it's the right length, you know, that it's clean, uh, that it doesn't smell like what I had mm-hmm. for lunch or, or whatever, but... Sometimes you need to take care of the hair that is a little south of the border. And, and the below the belt beard. Exactly. And sometimes that can be a challenge. And Manscaped works to make it so much easier and so much better. I don't I have had trouble before. I'm I'm not the hairiest guy around, but <laughs> I, I have enough and you know, there have been times where you're just, I, I, I get a crick in my neck and, and my back hurts and I'm liable to fall over in the shower uh, yeah. try, trying to do a little extra grooming, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But Manscaped really works to make this hassle-free and really, really great. Exactly. And, you know, here's the thing. It's a new year. It's 2021. But, spoiler alert. It's still gross to be super hairy down there. So you want to keep that trimmed up, fellas. And, I mean, ladies, too, you can use these products. It's not just for men, even though it's called Manscaped. Um, But Manscaped is here to give you a New Year's resolution that you'll actually want to keep. The Perfect Package 3.0 is the -the below-the-waist grooming package that you need to start the year off strong. And... Matt, I know for me, you know, like you said, you keep the beard trimmed and clean and neat, and that kind of helps boost your confidence, right? You go out into public and you feel a little better about yourself. Same way with down below the belt. When you know you've taken care of that and you got that all squared away, it helps you feel a little more confident, and we need a little confidence going into 2021. Absolutely. So... Let, let's keep things trimmed up. And, you know, inside the perfect package, you'll find their Lawnmower 3.0, and it's a waterproof skin safe trimmer that will reduce nicks to your two best friends. So, 
We've all probably experienced the nicks. Well, this is a skin safe trimmer that keeps you from nicking it. And they also have one of my probably favorite things is the crop preserver. And it's an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer for down there. Because like we talked about, uh, you know, last time, you don't want to put too much powder down there. Right. Because you you create biscuit dough and it's too hot, you end up with full-blown biscuits. And you don't want biscuits in your trousers. So try this crop preserver. I promise you, you're going to love it just as much as I do. So go check them out check out the perfect package 3.0 you can get everything that you need in there to walk out into the world with confidence or walk into the bedroom with confidence either way and our listeners can actually get 20 percent off and free shipping all you got to do is enter the promo code grave g-r-a-v-e at manscape.com again that's 20 percent off so go do it yeah so if you want to avoid trouser biscuits <laughs> you can go to manscaped.com and Graveyard Tales listeners will get 20% off and free shipping with our promo code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using our promo code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E. Now, there, there was some stories that I found that said that the artist that eventually would complete the mural had a really hard time getting it finished, but it didn't say hmm. why. But later, I found where Donna Nunley, the, the co-owner of, of the store uh, we're talking about, she had actually met and spoken with the artists, and they said they didn't really have any problems. So, again... Hmm. You know, it's just one of those kind of stories that crops up. Yeah. Now, Mason is the spirit of a small boy whom Donna Nunley has reportedly seen and communicated with. And visitors typically will see Mason running through the lobby. So, yeah, it's a mall. It used to be a hotel. I get it. But, I mean, that's a lot of activity for an area like this. Yeah. I mean, we... Adam and I will, will will search places that they don't have this much activity ever. Yeah. And, and certainly not enough activity to have three named spirits. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like I said, this place could could be the most haunted in town, but we're, we're going to talk Wild about... Wild for a mall. We're, we're going to talk about what place might very well be, and it's definitely the most popular, and Adam discussed it earlier. It's the McPike Mansion. Now, like I said, this is probably the most famous haunted location in Alton. Um, it in, and it's owned by Sharon and George uh, Ludicky. Is that how we decided their name was pronounced? I said Ludkey. Ludkey. Okay, we'll go with Ludkey. But sorry, Sharon and George. We're you know we're Southern idiots. <laughs> yep, exactly. But when the Ludkeys first bought the mansion, they didn't know it was haunted, and so six weeks after closing. Sharon was tending plants in in the front yard and looked up to see a man in a striped shirt and tie standing in the window looking back at her. Now, after a moment, he disappeared. 
Then, after researching the history of the building, Sharon came across a photograph of Paul Lotchinger, the original owner, wearing the same outfit. Hmm. So there you go. It's wild. Now, visitors will see figures throughout the house, and many have the sensation of being touched by an invisible presence. Sounds of footsteps are heard pacing up and down the hallways and down the staircases. Objects vanish only to materialize in other parts of the house. Now, another spirit in the house is thought to be that of a domestic servant that Sharon named Sarah. She was little more than a presence with an assumed name until a man came by the house one day and presented the Ludkeys with some books that he had removed from the house 17 years before. Now, one of the books had the name Sarah Wells written inside of it. And since that time, Sharon has been touched, actually hugged, as she described, by this spirit, and she and her husband have occasionally caught the scent of lilac on the third floor. Hugged by a ghost. Hugged. Wow. Yeah. Now, this is an interesting experience that I found. Um, And this one comes from a man named Troy Taylor, and he reported his encounter with a paranormal investigation group at the mansion uh, on hauntedillinois.com. Now, Troy writes, while the entire group was gathered in the wine cellar of the house, a step down below the basement, one of the group members became uncomfortable in the small enclosed space and asked to go upstairs. She was accompanied upstairs by another woman who was present, and soon the group in the cellar was waiting patiently for her to return. After a few moments, the sound of the second woman's footsteps could be heard descending the steps, descending the basement stairs, then crossing the basement floor. The steps were followed by a short pause, and then the metal door to the wine cellar opened, scraping across the stone floor. One problem, though, there was no one there. Oh, wow. Both of the women who had left were still upstairs, and no one had come down the steps. And get this, the entire strange incident was captured on video. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, all I can say is, holy cow. <laughs> yeah, no I mean, kidding. You know, not just for the McPike Manor, but for the entire town to have so many, not only just paranormal activity um, encounters, but to have actual named spirits with history that goes along with the reason they may have be, they may be haunting that location. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just don't see that in one region like this. No, it's very rare to get a town um, that is that haunted. Even we just talked about Tonopah and Tonopah, didn't have this much activity in Tonopah and it was a, it's a smaller town. Right. Right. You know, so it's just, it's, it's wild to me. Uh, and in the history of this place is amazing. Um, just for, for such a, a, a town that, you know, it's not one of those big quote unquote towns that people talk about. You know, you think about what are towns in, different states it's not one it's not the first one for 
Illinois that you come up with. Yeah. You know, so it, it's it's really cool that it's got that history and that amount of hauntings and and you know happenings. Um, the the church thing still gets me. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the church thing is still very interesting. So and and what I really what I really enjoyed is that so many of these these hauntings are unique. I mean, we have, we have talked about places where you get the here you can see shadow figures here you can see you can be touched or you can hear disembodied voices. I mean, that reminds me a lot of Gettysburg. Not that Gettysburg is not super haunted, um, mm-hmm. but a lot of the. You know, you, you see a Union soldier walking down the street. You see a, a soldier standing in in a window or coming down a stairwell. Um, those kind of things. They're they're very similar in nature from one building yeah. to the next. With Alton, they are so unique to to the actual location. You know, they. I mean, you've got a, an evil entity. With the suicide of, of of a well-known popular pastor, I mean, you've got a, a cemetery, you know, that that's haunted by the ghost of a of a famous abolitionist, mm-hmm. along with other spirits. You know, we've we've got a school that may or may not be haunted. We've got a shopping mall, essentially, that you know, as a former hotel. Saw saw death and actually has a death certificate of one of the spirits that's believed to haunt there. Yeah, and they're trying to get more ghosts with the marbles. That's right. You know, you they're, know, they're trying to create their own. <laughs> but what a fascinating town! I mean, oh yeah, just not take the hauntings out of it. Take all the hauntings out of it, and Alton, Illinois, is still one of the most fascinating towns just because of its history. You pile that all this haunted history on top of it. It just it makes it amazing to me. And uh, you know, I, I really I really enjoyed digging into these places. And like I said, I did not touch on all of them. I mean there's probably a dozen more that have mm-hmm. a little haunting here and a little haunting there. Um excellent and if, if you're in the St. Louis area, like I said, it's only what about forty five minutes south of St. Louis. Like so that. yeah. An, an easy place to get and i know about 20 miles or so we're yeah. bound to have plenty of listeners in st louis so oh yeah so if you live there are from there have been there or whatever let us know um and share stories in the facebook group uh, that's probably the best place to do it um you know share pictures of these places or you can email us your opinion or you can call us and leave us a voicemail yeah. um, and let us know what your opinion is. Absolutely. And as Adam mentioned, you can find us on Facebook. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. Adam is the chief tweeter around here. Um, the tweet hole, uh, tweet head <laughs> or something. And you can also go and check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show learn a little bit more about Adam and myself, and you can uh, become a patron. And we always like to thank everyone uh, who is who has donated money to the show. It really keeps us going, and it allows us to produce um, more and better content for our listeners. 
Um, as Adam has mentioned earlier, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps bring us up the charts, and that brings more people into the graveyard. So that's it for Alton, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. Shouldn't have had so much Coke before we started. I'm burping. <laughs> I, I really liked them, and I wish I had them. I have Enos Envy. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. Wah, wah, Adam's wah. liable to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs>